I'm glad Jesus is raised from the dead. How about you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your mercy. We trust as your word goes forth today, it'll be a blessing to those that'll hear it, believe it, receive it, and act upon it. And we give you all the honor and the glory, and we're just so grateful that you sent Jesus to the cross, that he died there for our sins. He was buried and on the third day rose again. And we're just grateful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Open your Bibles, if you have them, this morning to Romans, the 10th chapter and the 9th verse. Romans, the 10th chapter and the 9th verse. And it'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Be saved from what, people ask me. Be saved from hell. You know, hell's a bad place. And God doesn't want anybody to go there. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross, bear our sins, shed his blood in the tomb, and on the third day raised from the dead. And if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in our hearts. Notice not in our heads. A lot of people believe in their heads. But believing in your head, just believing that God exists won't save you. You have to believe in your heart. Realize, say, in your heart. You have to believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You know, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most pivotal event in history. And, of course, as I've already said, we must believe in our hearts, not our heads, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And let's see if, let me give you a little quiz. What are we saved from when we believe that? Okay. A lot of folks don't want to talk about that, but just because folks aren't talking about it, you know, doesn't mean that it's not there. You know, the, the dumbest thing anybody ever did is go to hell. Did you know that? Did you know that? Because, uh, uh, you know, God doesn't want anybody to go there. He went out of his way to keep us out of that place. So what do we have to do to miss that? We have to confess with our and believe in our. What do we have to believe in our hearts? That God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, did you get that? Are you a slow group or do I need to go over that again with you now? All right. Now, what do you have to believe in your heart? All right, now we're not going to go on until you get that. Throw that back up on the screen. Now, come on. My old school teacher's coming out in me here. Now, let's get this. If that's the only verse we ever got, it'd be worth coming to church. If you do what now? Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe where? 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 In your heart that God's what? Raised him from the dead. You'll be what? From what? I mean... There you got it, right there. Most pivotal thing in in history is Jesus being raised from the dead. You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what separates Christianity from all other religions in the world. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus makes Christianity not a religion at all, but rather a relationship with a living Savior. And if Jesus was not raised from the dead, Christianity falls apart. 
if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then Christianity is, it becomes just like all the other world religions, dead and dry. In fact, the Bible tells us that if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, here's what the Bible says would be the case if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead. Preaching him would be senseless and faith in him would be useless. If Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, all who have ever preached and testified testified about him would be liars. No one could be saved from sin. We would have to bear God's judgment ourselves and go to hell. The devil, demon, sickness, and disease would have dominion over us. Those who have already died trusting in Jesus would be lost forever. The Bible further says if Jesus hadn't have been raised from the dead, we would never have hope of seeing any of our loved ones who have, who have died trusting in Christ. We would have no hope of a future resurrection. In fact, no hope at all. We would have no brand new life and nothing to live for. And Christians, if Jesus would have never been raised from the dead, would be most miserable and to be pitied. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, we might as well close up our Bibles, go on home and have a party. But there'd be no reason to be here. But I've got good news for you. He's been raised from the dead. Now, I've been asked over the years, how can the resurrection of Jesus be proven? How can it be proven? Now, as far back as I can remember, when I was a five-year-old boy, after hearing the gospel in Sunday school, grandma, my grandma saw to it, my, my parents, that I was in Sunday school from a, a young child. And I heard the gospel and I believed. And over the last 40 years of study, I have found from that study that what I have believed, it has, conf- it has been confirmed, and I have found it to be true. In other words, I didn't need a whole bunch of proofs. I heard the gospel. I believed it. I remember, I can remember as a five-year-old boy, word came, my dad was away on a trip. He worked for Fabic uh, 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 Caterpillar, you know, the, the bulldozer company, and he was... He was in Selma, Alabama, and the word came that he had had a massive heart attack. And, and I remember standing there in, in, in my grandma's room there where the phone was and in the kitchen. And, and I remember as a five-year-old boy saying, I, I still remember this, God will not let him die. I had that faith. I believed in God. You know what? God did, didn't let him die. He lived. Isn't that wonderful? But, but, but I heard the word. I didn't need a whole bunch of proofs. I believed. But you know, others want proof, and then they will believe. So I believed, and then I got in, and I studied the Bible, and I've studied other things, and I found that what I believed was true. But others want to have all the evidence first, and then believe like Thomas. Does anybody remember doubting Thomas? How many remembers him? And he said, unless I can touch the nail prints in his hands and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then remember Jesus Appeared some, I guess it was eight days later, and Thomas was there, and he, he said, Thomas, he said, stretch out your 
fingers, you know, and touch my hands and look at my hands and touch my side. And, and Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, you know, he said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. He said, blessed are those who have never seen and yet have what? Believed. But you know, whether you need to, whether you, whether you believe it, hear it and just believe it and don't need any proof. Or whether you need some proof and then you believe the important thing is believing. Real loud say believing. That's the important thing. But you know, uh, recently I went, my wife and I went and saw a movie uh, called The Case for Christ. And it chronicled the life of this man named Lee Strobel. Has anybody heard of that uh, movie? It's out now. It's a good movie. He was an atheist. Absolute atheist. You know what an atheist is? How many knows what an atheist is? They don't believe in God, don't believe in anything, all right? They certainly don't believe in God. And he was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And he embarked on a quest to find out, see, because his wife got saved. And he could see the change in her life. But he thought it was a bunch of bunk, you know, Jesus and the resurrection. He thought it was all a bunch of just fairy tales. And he embarked on a quest to find out the truth about the resurrection of Jesus. And long story short, as he made a, a study of it, he became a believer. Isn't that wonderful? And then also, uh, we're talking about, you know, some people hear the word, they just believe and, you know, they don't need a bunch of proof. Other people require some proof. But I was, I've been reading this book called Cold Case Christianity. Have you ever hear of that, Cold Case Christianity? I mean, I like detective work. How many has ever heard of Dick Tracy, you know, and, and, and you know, and, and different detectives and things and Sergeant Friday. How many remembers Joe Friday from Dragnet? Some of you, you just dated yourself there, you know, but... <laughs> But uh, how about Monk? Anybody ever hear of Monk? You know, all right. How about Columbo? Okay, all right. You've never heard of Columbo? Well, you need some culture. I can't help you all if you've never heard of Columbo. It was always that last question that Columbo would ask that got the criminal, you know. But this guy, this J. Warner Wallace, he, he, he was a, a, a detective and he did cold cases, you know. A, 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 a staunch atheist. Didn't, didn't believe there was a God and all of that, you know. Certainly didn't believe in the Lord Jesus or the resurrection. But when he heard, he, he went to, a, I think his wife drug him into church on an Easter Sunday much like this. He didn't want to go. Was hoping that the preacher would preach quick. And uh, he was sitting there. But when, they, when the preacher started talking about the resurrection and the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the different eyewitness testimony, that got his attention. Because, see, he's a detective. And that got his attention. And... Uh, Long story short, he went in and he started studying Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from a detective's point of view and a cold case. And, you know, 2,000 years old, that would kind of make it a cold case. Is that right? And he went in there and he started studying. And the deeper he got into it, he found that Jesus was raised from the dead. Glory to God. He got saved. Can you say amen? Isn't that wonderful? But whether you hear the word and believe and don't require any proof, or whether you need some proof, in either way, God will meet you where you are. Praise God. And the important thing is that you come to a faith in the Lord Jesus, you know. Uh, but if somebody pinned me down and said, Pastor, just tell me a few things about, give, give me some reasons, you know, to believe. Well, can I just, just touch on a few here? Would that be, be all right with you? Or, all right. First of all, historical evidence. It's well established, it's a well established historical fact that Jesus was publicly executed in Judea in the first century AD. 
under Pontius Pilate by means of a crucifixion at the request of a Jewish uh, Sanhedrin. Several non-Christian historical accounts back up the early Christian eyewitness accounts of Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection of the dead. So what am I trying to say? You can go into history, and history itself will tell you that there was a man named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago, that he was crucified on a cross, and that people claim to have seen him raised from the dead. So history bears bears it out, you know, secular history. Then the next thing I'd talk to you about would be eyewitness testimony. Now, Peter, anybody ever hear of Peter? You ever hear of the Apostle Peter? How many has ever heard of the Apostle? We're going to have to take some of you back to Sunday school, you know. Have you ever heard of the Apostle Peter? All right. Well, he saw him after he was raised from the dead. The other apostles, you know. And then Jesus appeared to over 500 brethren at the same time, 500 at the same time. James saw him. Now, does anybody know who James is? James is one of the uh, uh, writers of a New Testament book. Does anybody know what book James wrote? Oh, you're intelligent. You're brilliant. But what a lot of people don't know is that now now James was Jesus' half-brother. And you see, Jesus had no natural father. He was born of a virgin. But Mary and Joseph, they went on, and they had other children after Jesus was born. And one of them was James. Actually, there was another one named uh, Jude. And he wrote a book, too. Does anybody know what his book is named? Well, you're intelligent people, I tell you what. And, and, but the interesting thing, if you look at James and Jude, when Jesus was in his ministry here on the earth, they didn't believe in him. They thought he was crazy. But after Jesus was raised from the dead, and particularly, the Bible says particularly, that Jesus appeared to James, and James, when he wrote his book under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, called Jesus, his half-brother, his Lord, and said, I'm a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That speaks volumes to me, because I haven't seen too many brothers wanting to call their brother, you know, their Lord, and say that I'm his bondservant, you know. Any of you have children? Have you ever ever seen one of your kids want to serve the other one like a bond servant? No. That, I mean, does that speak volumes to me that James and Jude would call Jesus Lord and that they're his bond servant? It speaks volumes to me. And then, of course, Paul saw him after he was raised from the dead. And then Mary Magdalene, actually, do you know who the first person to see Jesus after he was raised from the dead? Do you know who that was? Mary Magdalene. You know, a lot of people say that women shouldn't preach the gospel, but you know, Jesus sent a woman to preach the very first gospel message. Did did you know that? Certainly. There's nothing wrong with women preaching. That's that's a good thing, you see. But Mary Magdalene and the other women, uh, you know, they saw Jesus. And the reason now I I, I bring up the women, I put them last, even though uh, they saw him first, is this. Now listen to this. In the gospel accounts... Women are noted as the initial eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. This is significant because in both the ancient Jewish and Roman cultures, women were severely disesteemed. Their testimony was regarded as insubstantial and dismissible. Women's testimony was regarded as so worthless that they were not allowed to serve as legal witnesses in a Jewish court of law. Sorry, ladies, I'm sorry. 
That's just how it was back then. It isn't that way. It shouldn't have been that way. But given this fact, it is highly unlikely that any proponents of a resurrection hoax in the first century Judea would, it's unlikely they would have chosen women to be their primary witnesses. And yet women are cited by the gospel writers as the initial eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. In other words, if the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were trying to perpetuate a hoax of a resurrection, they would not have cited women as eyewitnesses at all, and certainly not as the primary ones. This speaks volumes to me. So I would talk to you about eyewitness account. Then I could take hours, and I won't, but I could take hours, and I could show you and talk to you about the Bible, how reliable it is. And I found it to be accurate right down to the last dotted I and the last cross T. I've not been able to find one contradiction in it. The way we got it is reliable. And you can bet your life on the word of God. And then I could talk to you about the archaeological evidence and all the archaeological evidence. And I could talk to you hours about that. I'm not going to do that. Then I could talk to you about the Shroud of Turin. Has anybody ever heard of the Shroud of Turin? Anybody's ever heard of that? The supposed burial cloth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I had a, a, a privilege here. About, for many years I had a man attend here. That he was one of the world's, four, not really, one of the world's foremost experts on the Shroud of Turin. And he wrote a couple books on it. And, and I sat with him and I, I talked to him about it. And, and I've studied into that shroud. And, 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 and does that, you know what I'm talking about, the Shroud of Turin. You, most people have heard of it. And, and, and when you take a picture of it, look at the negative. There's a picture of a man on there. And they don't know how it got, got on there. And some pi- people try to debunk it. And they get into the carbon dating and all that. But when you really look at it, and that carbon dating thing fell through. And it, 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 it could be dated back to 2,000 years ago. And, and, and the whole thing, and you look, at, you look at that, you look at the marks on that man and his side pierced and the beating that he took and the whole thing. Everything on that shroud matches right up to that man that was crucified on that cross some 2,000 years ago. And, and when he was raised, and they can't figure out how that mark, how that, that image of that man got on that shroud. They can't figure it out. They've tried to explain it in many different ways. But I can tell you how it got on there. When Jesus was raised from the dead, the Bible says the power, he was raised from the dead by the power of God, the power of the Holy Ghost. And when he was raised from the dead and his spirit came back into his body, the, the, the Bible says his body was glorified. And the glory of God, I believe, just burned that image on that cloth, you see. But whether that's the burial cloth of Jesus or not, I know that he was buried, he was put in a cloth, and he was raised from the dead. So whether the shroud of Turin is right or not, I still believe in the Lord Jesus and his resurrection. How about you? Oh, yeah. But we could talk about all these different things. But, you know, then I'd take you to this one here, changed lives. Real I'd say changed lives. Yeah, changed lives. Listen to this. Among the most notable of the eyewitnesses were the apostles. They collectively underwent an undeniable change following the resurrection of Jesus. Immediately following his crucifixion, they hid for fear for their lives. Following the resurrection, they took to the streets, boldly proclaiming the resurrection despite intensifying persecution. What accounts for their sudden and dramatic change? 
The apostles gave up everything they had to preach the resurrection, including their lives. And you need to think about this. They gave up their lives because they would not renounce the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that speaks volumes to me. You can study and you ought to do this sometime. Look at the early martyrs of the, the church. You know what a martyr is. Somebody that dies for the cause of, of something. And, and, and all these people, there's just multitudes of them. Just numerous, dozens and dozens and dozens of them. That they were, they were tortured. And, and some of them they were, had their, had their, were beheaded. They were burned at the stake. And all they had to do. And they watched their wives and children undergo the same thing. And all they had to do was renounce Jesus Christ and say, no, I don't believe on him. No, I don't. He wasn't raised from the dead. But you know what? Not a one of them, not a one of them renounced the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that speaks volumes to me. Some of them were so valiant and they believed on the Lord Jesus so much that in a couple of cases that they showed such courage as they went to their execution that, that, that when they got there in this one case, the guy that was going to do the beheading, he got saved himself. The executioner got saved and laid his head down on the chopping block. And you can cut my head off too, he said, because after watching this man's courage and faith, I got saved. I believe in the Lord Jesus as well. Glory to God. Now I see that speaks volumes to me. It speaks volumes to me. And then Saul of Tarsus. Anybody ever hear of Saul of Tarsus? Well, Saul of Tarsus, if you've never heard of him, listen to this. By his own admission, he was a violent persecutor of the church. After what he described as an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, Saul underwent an immediate and drastic change from a vicious persecutor of the church to one of its most ardent defenders and became known as the Apostle Paul, and God used him to write nearly two-thirds of the New Testament. That just like God, take the number one opponent, touch his life, change his life, and then use him to be the number one advocate. Isn't that wonderful? And like many early Christians, Paul suffered persecution, beatings, imprisonment, and execution for his steadfast commitment to Christ's death on the cross and the resurrection from the dead. And I've seen many people changed by God's power. That's perhaps one of the greatest proofs of his Resurrection is changed lives. And I've seen so many people's lives change. I, I could talk about many dozens and dozens and dozens. Uh, but I'll just mention one here, my wife. Many years ago, I was going through some old pictures. And I was looking through them. And all of a sudden, I came across this picture. And I looked at it. And it was Diane, but it wasn't Diane. And I looked at it again and I said, now that's Diane, but, but it wasn't Diane. You'd think I'm crazy. I thought I was a little crazy myself. I'm looking at that thing and I'm like, now that's, now that's Diane, but that's not her. That's her, but it isn't her. And so I, I, go, I found her, you know, and I, and, and, and I said, Diane, look at this picture. I said, now, now that's you, but that isn't you. And she said, yeah, that's me before I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. When she received Jesus, Jesus changed her so much that the, even the appearance of her face, the countenance of her face was different. 
See, the Bible says, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creature. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new and all things are of God. Glory to God. And that's what happened to my wife when she got saved. She'll tell you, she stood up here and said, before she got saved, her life was a mess as a young teenage girl. But she came to Christ. Do you know how she came to Christ? Because, you see, she was so unhappy. She went to uh, school one day and there were some girls at the table. And she asked them, she said, why are you so happy? And the one girl said, because I know Jesus. And that's how Diane found out about Jesus. See, before then, she had formal religion. Went to church every Sunday, but never came to know the resurrected Savior. But sitting at, a, I guess, a, a table at school, she asked somebody, why are you so happy? Why do you have a smile on your face? She said, because I know Jesus. And in a moment of time, she received Jesus, and God changed her. And then I found another picture of her just about a year after that. And I looked at that picture and I said, now that's my Diane, see, after she was saved. You see, if you really get saved, if you really get touched by the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll change you. I know in my life, and I seldom, I don't like to talk about myself, but it seems appropriate here. I know in my life, when, when I, I got saved as a young boy, the Lord, the Lord changed me. I know I was a smart mouth, prideful, braggadocious little brat. I made Dennis the Menace look like a Sunday school choir boy. I was a cheater at Old Maid. Does anybody know the card game Old Maid? And I'd play my grandma at Old Maid and I'd beat her every time. And she'd get so angry and so aggravated. But what she didn't know is that I'd mark the back of the Old Maid. And I had a little mark on there. And I would never draw the Old Maid because I'd cheated my grandma. I had marked the back of the Old Maid. Now my grandma's in heaven right now. And uh, I'm headed that way too. And uh, when I see her in heaven, I know she's going to talk to me about that. And I'm going to plead the blood. Praise God of the Lord Jesus that washes away all my sins. But he took me from being a smart-mouthed, prideful, braggadocious little brat, cheater at old maid. I guess that's why Grandma sent me to Sunday school. And I heard the word, as I said a while ago, I heard the Bible, I heard the gospel message of Jesus, and he changed me. And from that day to this, Sometimes his presence had come in the room where I'm at and I just begin to weep and cry. You don't need to prove to me that Jesus exists. I know that he does because from a young boy, he'd come in the room where I was at. Well, he's in me all right, but I'm talking about his presence. And you sit there and you weep and you cry. Jesus is real. As I grew and I got older and I got to be about, oh, I guess it was about 19, 18, 19 years old, I remember I lay sick all day on my mother's couch. The fever. I was raised in a Baptist church. Thank God for the Baptists. That's where I got saved in a Baptist church. But there was this certain church that had just started up in the area and the guy was on the radio and I'd heard him on the radio and I remember I laid all day sick. And I remember I went to hear that guy that night. 
Because I was going to get to that church service. And they were having a special service and I went there. Healing service. And I went there. And I remember, I won't go into all the details of it, but I tell you what. I felt something get off on me like electricity. Have you ever had, have you ever been zapped by electricity? I felt that power on me. It stayed on me for quite, oh, I'd say about a minute or so. Without getting into all the details of it, when that power lifted off me, that fever was gone, the sickness was gone, I was completely healed. Jesus is alive and well. Because only He can heal. And I've watched God in this very church. Oh, I don't want to miss this. I need to say this. I almost missed this. I remember that after that, I'd gotten a little bit cold in my walk with the Lord. I'd gotten away from the Lord some. Started hanging around people I should have been hanging around. You know, bad, can, bad company can corrupt somebody. Did you know that? You've got to watch who you hang around. Friends can make all the difference in the world. And... Uh, I got in with a, a, a person I shouldn't have been, been running around with, but I did. And I'd kind of got away from the things of the Lord and, and uh, still loved the Lord, just wasn't serving Him as I should. And I went into a church service one night and I walked in. I was a few minutes late and the pastor started, he was, he was kind of squinting like that. And I, began, you know, I thought, oh my gosh, long story short, he says, he says, Brother Terry, he says, after the service, I need to talk to you. Now, would that make you nervous if I called you out right now and said, I need to talk to you after the service? It might make you nervous. Anyway, after the service, long story short, I went up to him. I said, what, what, what's going on? He said, when you walked in, brother, he said, I saw an angel standing behind you. That angel was weeping. I knew what the angel was sad about. I wasn't walking with God as I should. And it got me back on track and, and serving God. Can you say amen? amen. Oh, yeah. God is very real. We're talking about a resurrected Savior. And you see, I've watched God here in this church, in this ministry, right in this sanctuary, heal literally hundreds and hundreds of people over the last 23 years. Now, I can't heal anybody. I can't heal anybody. But Jesus is the healer. I've seen, I saw one girl, she had a lump on the back of her neck, about like a golf ball size. And, and the Spirit of God said, curse it and slap it in the name of the Lord Jesus. I did. Within 24 hours, that thing was gone. Can you say amen? We've seen cancers healed. We've seen uh, deaf ears popped open. Glory to God. We've seen fibromyalgia instantly healed. We've seen Crohn's disease instantly healed. Can you say amen? We've seen one lady was in here. She had a, a basket, like in her uh, stomach, was blowed up like a basketball. She hadn't eaten for several days. And the power of God, that same power that I felt on me as a young boy, jumped off on her and healed her and her belly deflated. She was able to go out and eat. Glory to God. See, that excites me. Jesus is still in the healing business. Somebody said, you shouldn't talk about these kinds of things on Easter. Why not? We're talking about a resurrected Savior. He's in the healing business. He's just alive today as He ever was. Glory to God. Makes me think of the story of, have you ever heard of R.W. Schambach? Anybody ever hear of him? And he was a preacher of days gone by. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but you ought to listen to this story. I listened to him growing up. And he would close, he was on the radio, 15 minutes every night I'd listen to him. And he'd close every service and he'd say this, you don't have any problems, all you need is faith in God. And I listened to that for week after week after week. Every time he'd close his, he'd say, you don't have any problems, all you need is faith in God. 
And I wondered, where did he get that? Why would he say that? So one day I got to hear him give that testimony as where he got that. He got it from a man in Niagara Falls. And he was up in that, that area. He was preaching a meeting up there. And, and he went over to this guy's house. And this guy began to tell him this story. He said, Brother Shambach, he said, I was going along real good. He said, I was healthy. I'd never been sick a day in my life. I had my money in the bank and my savings account, checking account. I just about had my house paid off. Everything was good. Life was good. Everything was wonderful. And he said, I was struck with spinal meningitis. And he said, in just a short time, I was paralyzed. I was in bed. I couldn't move. The doctors gave me up to die. And it was, it was all over. He said, I lay there. I hadn't eaten in quite some time. He said, the doctor's given me up to die. He said, uh, uh, and a priest came. Uh, the door opened one day. And a priest came in. And he was dressed in black. His, his collar was turned back. He had a briefcase. He said, I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. He said, this priest came in. And, and he began to uh, administer to me the last rites. And he said, he gave me the last rites. And when he got done, he put his stuff back in his briefcase. He locked his briefcase up and he stood up and he walked over to the door. He walked out, he shut the door, he walked out there, went out through that same door, he came in. And he said, Brother Shambach, no more than that priest walked out that door and shut that door. He said, another priest came walking through the wall. And he wasn't dressed like the one that just went out through the door. He had a white flowing robe on. He said he came over to my bedside and he got down. He got his lips right close to my ear and he called me by my name. And he said, you don't have any problems. All you need is faith in God. And he said, that startled me. And then he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth and I've come to heal you. And he said, when I leave this room, he said, you get out of that bed he said, you go in there and you shave, get dressed, and go out to the first bookstore you come to and buy a Bible and start reading in St. John's Gospel, and there you'll find the way to eternal life. He said, that priest with that long flowing robe who called himself Jesus of Nazareth, he straightened up, he turned around, and he walked right back through the wall. See, Jesus doesn't use doors. Jesus is the door. Can you say amen? Glory to God. Jesus is cool. I tell you, he's cool. Somebody want some scripture on that? I'll give you some scripture. Remember the disciples after Jesus was raised from the dead? They were in that room. The Bible says the door's being shut. And Jesus stood in their midst. And then eight days later, the same thing happened. The door's being shut. Jesus stood in their midst. I'm here today to tell you Jesus doesn't use doors. He is the door. Glory to God. And so that guy, he said, he said, I, I felt totally different once he walked out through that wall. He said, he said, I had strength about me. He said, I got out of bed. He said, I went in there. I wanted to do exactly what he said. I went in there and I began to shave. He said, the nurse came through, not the wall, but she walked through the door. And freaked her out. She screamed, you know, what are you doing out of bed? You're supposed to be, to be dead. He said, a priest named Jesus of Nazareth came in and said, as he went, he shaved, he got dressed, he went out, found a bookstore, bought a Bible, start reading in, in John's gospel account. And in that gospel account, it shows Jesus as the Son of God raised from the dead and believe on him and you'll be saved. Can you say amen? Now there's somebody, you might have just come to get that today. You don't have any trouble. All you need is what? Faith in God. Isn't that a cool story? If that one won't excite you, we need to pray for your exciter.
I'm going to close with this. Go to Matthew 27. I usually like to preach about 30 minutes, but I got a little carried away there. So we'll, 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 we'll close here. Go to Matthew 27. You getting anything out of this? Am I doing okay? How am I doing? Doing all right? Okay. I'm not putting anybody to sleep, am I? Okay. <laughs> Look at this. Matthew 27:62. On the next day of the week. See, the, the greatest proof, before we read any further, the greatest proof to me, and, and then we'll close. The greatest proof to me is this. The empty tomb. All they would have had to do to debunk Christianity, all they would have had to do, the religious leaders, all they would have had to do 2,000 years ago is bring Jesus' body out into the streets, lay his body in the streets, and they could have debunked Christianity. Why didn't they do that? Because they couldn't. They didn't have the body. Why? Because he'd been raised from the dead. And the body wasn't there. You don't have to look any further than that empty tomb. On the next day, Matthew twenty-seven sixty-two, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember, while he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I'll rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples come by night, steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now that stone, uh, that stone was put up there. Would you say that his, his grave site was secure? Very secure. There's no way the disciples could have got in there and stole that body. But notice in Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Now that will get your attention, won't it? And then verse 3, a lot of people think verse 3 is talking about the angel, and it may well be. But verse 3, if you study the Bible, you'll see that the description here in verse 3 is, is a description of how, God, how you see God in the Bible. And Jesus, of course, was God, you know. And notice verse 3, his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. See, verse 3, the angel came down, rolled, there was a great earthquake. The angel came down, rolled back the stone, took up the best seat in the house, front row seat here. And then somebody came walking out of that tomb in verse 3. His countenance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. I believe Jesus right there, he came walking out that tomb. And the, Now watch this. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And then, of course... Now the Bible skips ahead in verse 5. The women eventually show up and the angel says, Don't be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He's not here. He's risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And then, now, now what did those guards just see? Now what did they just see? They, they, there was an earthquake, right? What did they just see? An angel come down. What did the angel do? Roll back the stone sat on a stone, and then somebody came walking out the tomb, who would that be? And what did those guards do? They, they fell down for fear. Did it get their attention? Do they, do they know what they're looking at? Sure they do. 
scared the eebie-jeebies out of them. I don't know what eebie-jeebies are, but it scared it out of them. Now watch this. Now look at this. Now look at this. You would have thought that those guards would have become believers, wouldn't you? But look at verse chapter 28 now. Look at verse 11. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Now, now what happened here? Now, let's get this. They came to the city. They reported what they just saw. What did they just see? They saw the angel come down, roll back the stone, sit on a stone. They saw Jesus walk out to tomb. They come to the city. They tell the chief priest what happened. They assembled with the elders and, and consulted. And they gave a what? Large what? Sum of money. To the soldiers, saying to them, tell them, just say this, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll appease him and make you secure. So they, what they do, they took the, and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. They took the money. They took the money. How many of you know there's nothing wrong with having money? It's wrong when money has you. And money, and I'm closing right here. Listen to me. This is, this is, this is astounding. Remember how when I started this message out, some people will hear and just believe. Other people need proof before they'll believe. People have said, well, if I could just see him, if you could just, if I could just see him, if I could just see him, if I... Did these people see him? These soldiers, did they see him? You're not going to see it any better than that. First hand, front row seats. They saw it. But they took the... Do you know this world is full of distractions? And the devil is at work 24 hours a day, 7 days a week to distract you from seeing That Jesus is alive. And if he can do it to these soldiers that saw Jesus walk out that tomb. If money can distract them. It's not just the money. It's lots of things. Let me ask you. Is there anything distracting you today? Stand with me if you would. Heads bowed. Eyes closed. Thank you. Is there something distracting you today? What might it be to the soldiers who saw eyewitness account? To them, money was more important. Is there something distracting you? I just want to call your attention to that. And I want to ask you today, what will you do with this Jesus that I've talked to you about today? Pilate, the governor, said, what shall I do with this Jesus who is called Christ? So many in this hour and over the last 2,000 years have tried to be like Pilate. They've tried to wash their hands and And not have anything to do with Jesus. But let me tell you something about the Lord Jesus. 
You can't get around him. You can't get over him. You can't get under him. And the only way to the Father is through him. Many people try to neglect him and do neglect him. But to neglect him is to reject him. With this one called Jesus, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to accept him or you're going to reject him. One of the two. Other people will say, well, I believe, I believe in God. That won't save you. We've told you that. What are you going to do with this Jesus? Are you going to make him the Lord of your life? Or are you going to continue to neglect him? It's your call. Remember a while ago how I said to you that going to hell is the dumbest thing anybody ever did? And it is the dumbest thing. You know why? Because God has barricaded hell. He's barricaded it with the cross. He's barricaded it with the empty tomb. He's barricaded it with the Bible. He's barricaded it with a preacher like me standing here telling you about Jesus. He's barricaded it. And he's done all the hard stuff for you. Dying on the cross, raising from the dead. He's done all that for you. But he left one thing up to you. And that's the decision to either receive Jesus or reject Him. It's up to you. Now I realize many of you have already made Jesus the Lord of your life, but there may be some in here who have not. So with your heads bowed and eyes closed, what I want to do is I just want to very simply lead you in a prayer. And if you'll pray this and let your heart not, your, don't, not just your head, but let your heart accept Him in your heart. He'll come in there and He'll change your life. He'll change your life. He'll change your life. Don't ever forget this. You cannot be saved by church attendance, by service in the church, by giving money to the church, by being water baptized, by being confirmed, by receiving communion. No, no, no. You don't do those things to get saved. You get saved and then do those things. The only way to be saved is to receive Jesus into your heart. So I want everybody to pray this. Those of you who have already received Jesus, go ahead and pray. You'll help those who have never done this before. Say, God in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I realize I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I call on your grace. I repent of my sins. I believe in my heart that you've raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my heart. Live big in me. I give you my life, and I'll serve you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that and you really believed it, when we dismiss, there'll be some women, men up here. You come up and tell them. It's important that you tell somebody that you made Jesus the Lord of your life. Hey, thank you for coming today. I trust you were blessed. I trust you got something good out of it. I thank Shelly and Karen for doing the special music. And I thank you for coming and listening to the Word of God. Now, greet a couple of people before you leave and go have a great resurrection day and tell somebody about Jesus. You're dismissed.